If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. And as you're turning there, I just want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to speak. It's always an honor to be uh, behind this pulpit. And Pastor doesn't just let anybody get up here, so it's truly an honor and, and that he allows me uh, to have the mic because he never knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> Hopefully it's good things. Um, but we have a great pastor, and Pastor, now let, let's show them some love. If you love our, our, our pastor, let's show them some love. We love you, Pastor. I, fam. If you're there, say amen. Ephesians 6. Uh, we have it on the screen, too, so if you're not there, we can just read it with us. Uh, Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. All the parents said amen on that, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, fathers, do not exasperate your children. All the kids said amen. Amen. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let's just pray one more time. God, we love you. We thank you, God. God, now we pray that you would open our ears to hear your word this morning, Father God. We, uh, we pray that you would, you would open our hearts to receive a word that would challenge us and change us, God. That we would leave here not the same today from, from me to, the, to everyone. That, God, we would leave this place differently, Father God. Having a better revelation of your love for us, God. And we just thank you and we love you. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Uh, in the early 1800s, there's a, a pastor named uh, Dr. Todd, Dr. John Todd. And his father was sick, and this is the early 1800s. Is they don't have Kroger's like they have now uh, with a little pharmacy in them. And, and his father was sick, and his father needed medicine. He said, he said little Johnny, will you please go and, and get some medicine for me? And uh, go to see the pharmacist in town. And, and Dr. Todd, being a boy, uh, he didn't want to go. He, he wanted to go hang and play with his friends and whatnot. So he left. And he came up with a lie to tell his dad. He said, he said, he said I'll just tell him that the druggist wasn't in. He wasn't there. And, uh, or they didn't have the medicine. They were out of the medicine that you need. So uh, he comes back home after a while of being gone, and his dad is is there in bed, and he's sick. And he said, Dad, um, the, the, the pharmacist, the druggist, didn't have the medicine you needed. And now the, the situation with his father had worsened, and his father was getting pretty gravely ill. And, and, and little John, Dr. Todd, uh, little Todd, uh, understood now that the the situation was far beyond what he even thought it was and and in a panic he he darted out the door he left and and he said i'm going to make it back to the pharmacist and and he he gets there and uh, approaching the door the lights were out it's early 1800s they didn't have electricity like that the candles were out and he reaches the door and it's locked and they're closed so, Dr. Todd, being a boy, goes back home, and he tells his dad, he said, Dad, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't go the first time, and when I went back, 
the druggist was gone, the pharmacy was closed. And it, he, his dad said this to him. He says this, he says, Love God and always speak the truth. For the eye of God is always upon you. Now kiss me once more and farewell. His dad passed away that night, all because of disobedience. Now, this is a grave and a, a somber story, but and oftentimes, uh, you know, our disobedience doesn't end in death like that, but this one does. And Dr. Todd lived his whole life with this guilt. This, this one act of disobedience, if he would have only went the first time, as his dad would have asked, he would have got back in time, and his dad may have lived through the night, maybe a couple of days, maybe have, have gotten better, but instead he, he got home, he, he disobeyed. Paul here in Ephesians 6, 1 says, he says two things to young people. We're going to talk about two, two sides of the coin here, and if you want to title this this message, uh, I title it Stranger in Your House, because as we grow up, parents, with a blink of the eye, your, your student is graduating, right? I mean, it was like the other day, Caleb was just, just a kid, and Drew was just a kid, and Drew graduated two years ago, and now Elizabeth's going to graduate next year. It's crazy. And uh, Megan's graduating next year. It's just crazy. All these kids are graduating. It's, it's heartbreaking, but uh, I just want to keep you all with me, but... It was just like the other day, my Bella was about to be 13. It was like the other day, she was just this little girl. And now she's she's older, she's going through, we'll just call it the changing. And, um, and, and I'm like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Who's a stranger? Because she's always, she's always on her phone now. She's talking to people and she's, you know, in her room. She's, she's trying to get a little more freedom. And, and as your kids grow, it's like, who is a stranger in my house now? You're not the person I once knew. You weren't the baby that you always needed. I mean, now you're wanting a little bit more freedom, the stranger in your house. But Paul says two things in Ephesians 6 to young people. And then we're going to talk about what he says to parents. But he says, two things obey your parents and then he says honor your parents obey your parents and honor your parents obey your parents isn't a like a um thing that's popular like you know it's not like amen yeah obey your parents like y'all aren't shouting me down right now because we don't naturally like to obey things right uh, can I confess that I don't naturally like to obey things. When my boss tells me, and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just, I have a rebellious spirit and need to get saved today, but uh, my boss comes to me and says, Brad, you need to do this, this, and this. For some reason, in, 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 my, in my sinful nature, in my, in my flesh, I just, I, I want to say no, you know, and, and not, do, not do it. Uh, there's a terrible cartoon uh, a long time ago called Ren and Stimpy. Um, don't raise your hand if you've seen it. Uh, but uh, I used to watch it, and it was a terrible cartoon. But I remember this one episode, and and there were, I think, I guess there were two dogs. I don't know what they were, but uh, this person said, I think they were in a spaceship or something like that, and there's this giant red button, this giant red button, and the person says, whatever you do, do not touch this red button. You know, they're like, whatever you do, you can touch all the other buttons, but don't touch that red button. And the whole episode is about them trying not to touch the red button. I mean, if somebody puts a red button in front of you and says, don't touch it, and they don't tell you why, 
man, you want to touch it. Like you're like, oh. you're like you're trying to distract yourself, and your mind just goes. I think that's why we have the the fall in the garden. They were like, you can touch any tree except this tree, and then they're like, oh, that's. It looks so good. I just want to touch it. And so throughout the episode, Ren and Sippy try not to touch the button. I think they end up touching the button, pressing the button in their rebellious spirit, and, and uh, it blows up the earth. And, and uh, so moral of the story, don't touch the red button. No, but for real. Uh, obey your parents. Obeying your parents is not a popular teaching. I, I would not draw hundreds of thousands of youth kids if I taught this every day, obey your parents. But Paul is is telling us to obey your parents. And I know what some of you young people are thinking is, what if my parents are wrong, right? <laughs> You're thinking, but what if they're asking me to do something sinful, Pastor Brad? Okay, I'll, I'll qualify this. Uh, if your parents are asking you to rob a bank, you have my permission not to do that. If your parents are asking you not to, or to do something sinful, obviously God's, God's word, God's principles rule all. That's with your bosses at work. That's with everything. God's principles and God's law rules all. I know it's hard to, to, to accept this. I know it's in, in our flesh we don't want this. And Dr. Todd, when he was a little boy, he did not want to go and do this for his dad. But sometimes our parents ask us to do things we don't understand. We don't understand the implications behind them. And, and we need to obey your parents. Paul's writing this to the Ephesians, and, and it applies to us today. And then he says, honor your father and mother. Now, in the church, we use the word honor a lot. We, we honored mothers last week, and, and uh, we honor graduates this week. And we use honor a lot, right? We want to honor people. We honor pastor because he's our, our senior pastor and we love him. We give him honor, you know. Uh, there's seats of honor. We, but in the world, at, at work, you don't walk into your, your, your job and say, boss, I honor you today, you know. And as children, as, as students, you don't go into your home and say, mom, dad, I'm home from school. I honored you today, in class, it was great, you know. But so I don't think we really understand what honor truly means. So we're going to look at this word and just camp here for a second. Honor in the Greek is tomeo, is a Greek word for it. And, it, and it, I began to study it and pray over it. And it means to assign value to something, to assign value, to give something value that you value something. Uh, and I began to think, what do we value? How, how can this apply to us? What do we value? And I began to think that students value things. They value phones. You know how I know? Because they're always looking at them. Look around. <laughs> I'm always looking at my phone. We value phones. We assign value to our phones. And I began to think about this. And sometimes our phones are broke Sometimes our phones have scratch. I have a, a big scratch. You probably can't see it. It goes all the way across the, the screen because I had it in my 
pocket and I was walking from the back of the warehouse where my little office is to the front. Uh, I work in a parts department and I began to, and I fumbled it and I kicked it. You know, like, does anybody else have this reflection, uh, reflex that when you drop something, like, I always assume I can kick it back up and catch it. You know, (laughs) is that just me? Like, that's my, that's my natural reaction is I, I drop something, I'm like, and I try to kick it back up. And so I did that to my phone. I punted it across the floor and it slid and scratched the front. And then I, I uh, don't judge. I'm a, I'm a giant child. I, I bought a hacky sack um, the other day. I know I'm 34. Um, and I wanted a hacky sack. Maybe I'm just going through a midlife crisis. I don't know. But uh, I saw it online. I was like, I'm going to buy that. So I bought it and I, I was waiting for it to come in and finally it came in and I, you know, it gave me a notifi- notification on my phone and I saw it because I'm always looking at my phone. And, uh, and I get home and I was like, yes, I'm going to get home and I'm a hacky sack. And so I get home and I'm like, Rhiannon, did my package come in? She goes, yeah, it's weird. It kind of feels like a hack sack. And I go, because it is. And I ripped it open. And she's like, I just didn't think my 34 year old husband was buying a hacky sack. I was like, well, it is, but I don't know where I was going with that. But we value things. We value our phones. Students value phones. You put value in these. Uh, even if your, your phone is broke, you value it. It's, it, you, you, it. Who has a broken or scratched phone? Let's just hold it up. Let's just be honest, because I know you're looking at <laughs> broken phones. That's like, I don't know how, like, I, I haven't actually broke a screen. I, I don't understand how some people, like, just shatter screens like that. It's like they just have, like, a hammer and bam. But um, I, so many students always have, like, broken phones, but they still value them. They value them because they're always on them. They're always looking. We value communication. This is how we socialize these days is through social media. We, we, this is how we get our news these days is through phones. We've put value in, 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 in phones. Uh, let me tell you, we need to value our parents just like we value our phones. We, we, put, we assign value to that. We understand that it has a value in our life, a purpose in our life. And let me tell you, even if it's scratched, it's broke, it still has value. Parents, we're not perfect. I was expecting the kids to say amen, but not too loud. You just said it in your, in, in your head a little bit. Because you know what's good for you. You're just like, amen. But we're not. Students, you're not perfect. And all the parents said amen. We're not... We're not perfect. Just like our phones are, are, are many times are broke, they have scratches, they have flaws, but we still value them. We understand they still have value in our life. Parents, students, just because your parents aren't perfect, they still have value in your life. Thank you. Amen. They still have value just because uh, I always... I, on the way home, I always pass uh, McEachern, not McEachern, uh, New Manchester High School. And right past New Manchester High School, I always drop calls. Right there, when I turn onto Fairman Road and it goes down and, and the Riverside's right there, every day, every day I drop a call. And it's super frustrating because I'm like, hello, uh, can you hear me? Um, are you still there? Oh, oh, oh. And they're like, they're like, I can't hear you. And I'm like, hello, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And it's super frustrating. 
And it's super disappointing because it drops calls every day. Just because your parents have disappointed you sometimes doesn't mean that they don't have value. Even though my phone disappoints me, sometimes it drops calls. I don't just throw it out the window. I keep it and I try it again tomorrow because I understand the value in this. We assign value to parents when we honor them. It says to honor your parents, to understand that your parents have value and, and, and value. Even if you're graduated and maybe you're in college and you're a young person, a young adult, your parents still have value. I'll tell you what, my mom, she hasn't been perfect, and we've had, as a young man, and I won't go into too many details, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and it was very crazy home life, and I ended up having to move away uh, and live with my aunt and when I was about 15, 16, and, um, and then I ended up coming here through that, but uh, my mom wasn't perfect, and there was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of, I felt rejection through that season of life. And I had to deal with that as a young man. And, and now that I'm older, I, I really had a lot of unforgiveness for a lot of years. And there's a moment, and I remember this moment. I can point to the, the, the spot where it happened. Is I began to forgive my mom. And just because she wasn't perfect, I understand now that she's always had value. She's had value in my life. Just because she's messed up doesn't negate the value that your parents have in your life. That's a good place to say amen. I thought I thought parents would be shouting me down by now. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I got value. I would be. But um, young people, remember that that your parents have value when they mess up. Remember to give them grace to to love. And, and to value their, their wisdom, even if it doesn't make sense. Paul says to obey and to honor. These two are, are, are tied together. Really, we can't honor if we don't obey. We can't, we can't uh, obey if we do not honor. These two are, are inseparable. We have to obey and love our parents, even when we're grown. And I know we leave the home and we get married, but you still value their, their wisdom. You value their, their uh, let them speak into your life. Now we're going to go to parents. Paul says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And really, and and that culture, the father had ultimate control of everything. They're they're everything. And, and really, in our culture and, and today, you could really replace fathers to to parents. And and they're. And let me just say this: as fathers Father's Day is coming up, man, dads, we need to step up. We are the the head of the home, the high priest of the home. Man, we need to be dads. We live in a generation that are that to, uh, these these kids these days are fathers. This is a fatherless generation, man. And we need we need young men to step up and begin to father and to nurture and to to correct and 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 grow their families. Amen. But fathers, we could we could say parents here. Parents, do not exasperate your children, but rear them up or bring them up in their instruction and, and the faith. It says right here, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in, train, in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
So as your students are supposed to obey and honor you, may we as parents need to begin to uh, train them, exasperate. We don't really use that word anymore. We could really uh, say provoke to anger. That's what really the, the nature of what Paul's saying is that, that we don't need to provoke or, or, or bring our students to anger. This It's really a, a deep-seated resentment. And, and so Paul is charging all the parents here to, to love your kids as Christ loved us, basically. He's saying, look, don't, because parents, man, we can be overbearing, we can be pushy, because we want the best for our children, right? We want our kids to be the first woman president. We want them to, to succeed and thrive. But through that, we need to be training them up in the, in the instruction of the Lord and, and training them in the Bible, I've, my kid plays soccer, and one season, it has been a couple of seasons ago, um, there was a dad, and he was a coach, and his son, it was even before she was on his team, I, I knew her, his son's name just because he yelled it so many times. Uh, he, he, on the soccer field, it gets crazy with parents. I, I personally, I just sit uh, down on one end of the field, and I uh, had one parent come up to me. He said, hey, why are you all the way down here? Why don't you join the center? I'm like, I'm good. Just because I don't want to get caught up. Parents lose their mind over some recreational uh, soccer. I'm like, bro, it's wreck. Like, if my kid misses the ball or misses her, her assignment, I'm like, it's wreck. It's okay. You know, like, is, is she having fun? Is she trying hard? Okay, praise God. But kids or parents lose their mind over this stuff. I'm like, it's it doesn't matter 20 years from now who won this game. It's rec soccer. We're not even talking about scholarships yet. They're 12. I, there's no money riding on it. Like, just we're just trying to teach them to kick it in the right goal. You know, like we're trying to teach them look, your defense, you need to be on this side of the field and clear it to that side of the field. It's okay. You know, but parents lose their mind. And this one dad, especially, he became my kid's uh, coach. And I was like, oh, my gosh, right? This guy was a, a large man. We'll just say that. He was a very large man. And I'm thinking, um, you're yelling at the kids for doing stuff that you personally can't do. You know, like, I'm like, you're yelling at them because they can't kick the ball or they didn't kick the ball. And I'm thinking, bro, let me see you do it. You know, like, I I just what thought, but he's yelling at his son, especially his son. I felt so bad for his son. He's yelling at him. He's like, he's. I want to say his kid's name in case I don't know if he ever hears this, whatever. But he's yelling at his son, and it's not instructional. It's not. It's not life giving. It's not bringing them up in instruction. It's 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 oppressing them. It's it's pushing them. It's exasperating his son. It's provoking his son to bitterness. And as parents, we have to be nurturing. And, and I know that's a weird word for, for dads because we, we, we're tough. We're, but, you know, we have to nurture our kids and the instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you this. Students and young people aren't going to necessarily remember the words you say. They're going to remember how you made them feel and their experiences with those words. Now, you might remember phrases that your parents say all the time. My mom used to tell me that I, uh, that bad company corrupts good character. We were a Christian. She was 
she used to tell me that because I used to hang out with not good people. And I, and I was like, no, mom, I'm like, I'm doing really good. And she's like, no, you're not. And I, I was like, no, look at me. You know, I'm, I'm perfect. And she would look at my friends and, and they were, you know, potheads and getting into a lot of trouble. And she's like looking at me. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm good though. They may do that, not me. But I was lying because I was doing the same thing. Because who we hang out with are basically who we're going to become. But parents, we can't have this overbearing, this authoritarian, iron fist type of parenting. This dad, this coach was yelling at his son so hard one time. And I felt so bad for him because this kid, he, he was not the best player, probably not even the middle player. Like, he was pretty bad at soccer, but he tried. And he was the goalie one time. And, and on the soccer field, parents are yelling at their kids. Coaches are yelling at their kids, and it confuses them. And this poor kid, and we weren't on his team yet, but this this. His dad's yelling at him, and the coach is yelling at him, and he has the soccer ball. And this is like U8. They're like eight-year-olds. I'm like, dude, as long as they get out there and they have the right cleats on the right foot, we're good. you know. And he, he's like looking, and he's yelling, and he's yelling. And he got so confused, he rolled it right to the other defender, and they just poof, booted it right back in the goal. And then his dad lost his mind. And I was just like, oh, it's so sad. But this is exasperating. I know that's kind of an extreme case, but we have to be careful that, that we create good experiences with our kids. You create moments with your kids. Create teachable moments with them that we can train them. We can. I was talking to my 12-year-old. We were coming back from soccer practice the other night, and I was talk, talking to her about preaching and and the you know just my sermon. And I was like, Bella, what um, what do you think a good uh, you know how do how do you think a parent could have a good relationship with their kid? And she, what she said was profound, and 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 her. Her tween years, she said, she said, Dad, I think if parents just listen and then they just spend time with their kids, that will be a great relationship. And I looked at her and I was like, man, that is so true. It's so simple. If we begin to listen to our kids, if we're not just telling them, you need to get better grades, you need to do this, you need to do that. If we begin to listen to them, because students and young people are like mirrors. They're going to reflect how they perceive your love. They're going to reflect how they perceive. And when I say perceive, you may perceive it completely different. You're thinking, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But they perceive it completely different. You're thinking, I'm just trying to push them to make them better. But they perceive it as this overbearing, provoking them, exasperating your child. They're, they're getting tired. Can I tell you, create good moments with your students in church. Man, I want your students to want to come to church. And in urgent student ministries, we try to create experiences with God so that students have this, this understanding and this, this impression, this good memory of God. Not this, Pastor Brad is boring and old and, you know, and all this, but... We try to foster and grow them in the Lord. Be careful what you say to your, your student. There's a, 
I came across this poem, and I want to read it to you, and I think they might have it up there on the screen. Um, it's a confession of a Christian father, and it says this. He says, my family's all grown. My kids are all gone. But if I had to do it over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our own mistakes or at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weakness, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing on them, I would focus on me. I would do more things together with my child, my children. I would encourage them more and I would bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to the little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that would happen in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. I would use them. I, be, I read this and I began to examine my own life. And, and as Pastor and I were talking before service, we, our life is just so busy. And American culture these days, we miss so many opportunities to, to rear, to bring up our children. We miss teaching opportunities. He says in this poem, he says, I would, every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. We want to wait for this big moment. We want to wait for this, this extraordinary experience sometimes to direct our kids, to, to teach. We're looking for this, this big teachable moment. But we, in fact, we have ordinary days. Every ordinary day, every ordinary experience, we should begin to direct our students, our young people, to God. That includes Sunday night. Next Sunday night, you should bring your students to urgent summer kickoff. Everyone said amen. And then finally, I was thinking about parent relationship, student relationship, and how to have a good one. And, and I, I was reading the Bible, and, and, and Luke he accounts this time when Jesus, and I'm going to close with this so if the band would prepare to come. Luke accounts this time that Jesus and his parents went to the temple. And Jesus was 12 years old at the time. He was an adolescent, preteen. And he began to, to teach and he was talking to people about about him and God and began to teach the, you know, they were Jewish then. And so he began to talk about the, 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 uh, mo, uh, the Mosaic law and his parents, you know, they traveled as big family units and Jesus had brothers and sisters and, and they, his parents gathered his, his family and, and they left and they began to travel and they didn't have a car. They didn't jump in the Honda Odyssey and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, take off like we were, what my family's going to do after church today. But they began to travel in this big, large crowd and 
Bella's so funny, my oldest. She's always counting heads. Um, she she I, she probably counts, and we have you know six people in our family. We have four little girls and and me and Rhiannon, and she's always counting everyone to just make sure we have every, everyone. And if you know Savannah, you understand why, because Savannah's a fireball and she's all over the place. And uh, but Bella's always counting. Even when we we took the youth ice skating um, this past winter, um, Bella, we were walking through Centennial Park, and Bella asked me, she goes, Dad, have you uh, counted the heads on? No, they're teenagers. They know to be with me, right? And uh, she's like, I just did. You have, you know, so I forget. I think we had 18 or something kids. And, and uh, uh, I'm kidding. We keep up with your students when we go places. All the parents are like, <gasps> but we, we make sure they're all there. But Bella, Bella certain, certainly counts everyone. And she, she counted them like four or five times. She gets real nervous when she's in Atlanta. And she's just 12. And, and so uh, it reminded me of the story. And, and Jesus is, is there doing uh, his thing, teaching. And, and he's, he's pretty wise at the moment. He's already 12. He's kind of understanding who he is, what, what his assignment is in life. And his parents leave. And they, they, they're about a day's travel out, which isn't that far back then. And um, because they're all walking and they have donkeys and they're all walking and then and then somebody goes and I would imagine Joseph probably looks at Mary you know let's face it the mom probably looked at the dad Mary probably looked at Joseph and said where's Jesus and he's like I don't know probably back there you know and uh, and then they're looking and they they realize Jesus isn't here and we're thinking parents of the year come on you left a whole day and didn't realize your kid was gone and uh especially and he's the messiah like you you need to take care of that right like make sure he's there with you and they they forget he's there and then they they rush back and and i can imagine they walk in the temple the synagogue and they see jesus they're talking to these grown men actually confounding their their understanding of 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 the jewish religion and 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 they they run and they grab him up and they're like jesus we didn't know that you were here. And he says, I was about my father's business. But check this out. It, Luke accounts in, in verse 51. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with his parents. And he was obedient to them. But his mom treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. Because he was obedient. He said he went back with his parents and he was obedient to them. Now let's think about this. This is Jesus. This is the, 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 the savior of the world. We're talking about Jesus, the sinless son of God. We're talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the, the savior of all of us. The, he was perfect in every way. He, he, had, he was without sin. He was the, the blameless lamb of God. Yet his parents were, were fallible and human just like us. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Yet his parents that were in charge of him were, were fully human. They were just like us. They were flawed. Obviously they left their, they left the Messiah, of the, the, the hope of the world they just left them. I'm like, come on. They were flawed. Yet, Jesus obeyed his parents. I wonder when Jesus, he's 12 years old now, he's understanding who he is. If his parents said, 
Jesus, go obey or go go clean your room. And Jesus is like, Psh, I'm the hope of the world. You know. <laughs> Instead of that, he went and cleaned his room. If they said, if Joseph is Joseph's this carpenter, he's building things. He's like Joseph, or he's like Jesus. Go grab my my mallet for me. Jesus is like, Psh, I'm the hope of the world, Dad. I don't have to do this. No, he went and grabbed the mallet. Students, young people, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Obey your parents. Old people, I'm just kidding. Not so young people that have teenagers. I'm 34. I'm feeling old too, man. All these kids graduating. I know I know you're like, Psh, you're young, but it was like the other day. They, they were kids, but parents, be careful how you treat your children. Love them. It has to be based, our parents' love has to be based in the love, this agape love that Jesus has for us. He, we have to love them selflessly. We have to love them self-sacrificially. We have to love them unconditionally. When your, parent, when your student messes up, and they're, they're, you find them uh, on drugs or you find uh, text messages that you disagree with. You find apps on their phone. Come on. Parents need to be going through their, fo- their kids' phones. Period. I, I have all my kids. I'm, my kids are young, but I still have all their, they have phones. But I'm like, look, leave them down here tonight. I'm going through your phones. And because um, we need a parent. We don't need to be their best friend. We need to parent them. We need to grow them up. We need to train them, love them unconditionally. We need to love them self-sacrificially. We need to give all of ourselves to them. This doesn't mean that there's not going to be any conflict. Because who, who, you don't have to raise your hands, but when your students going through adolescence and whatnot, there's conflict. In families, there's conflict. And marriage, there's conflict. I know that's surprising to know that me and Rihanna have conflict, but there's conflict sometimes. I'm usually right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think I'm always wrong, but uh, there's conflict. Teenage years are tough. That's why we have youth ministry. <laughs> but teenage years are, are tough. I remember when I was a teenager. Man, it was a tough time. Your, your your young people are changing. They're they're they experience a little more freedom. They're 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 not needing you as much, and you're feeling a little unwanted, a little distant because they're in their room a little bit more. They're talking to their friends a little bit more. But look, you're still the parent. We have to we have to close this conflict down, man. I, I pray and I want great family units. That's why we're doing IFAM. It's because we believe in the family. We believe in the family unit. We believe that God set the family unit up for a purpose. Now with every head bowed, eye closed. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning just to get real I know at church, a lot of times we can put on the, the best face, the, the best front. We can act like our, our family has it all together. Even people in leadership, we can act like, yeah, we got it all together. But the truth is, our family is in turmoil. Our kids are being rebellious. 
there's conflict and you don't understand why. And I just, I feel a special anointing on this this morning. I feel like there's families here that you're experiencing conflict and you're coming to the point where you don't even know what to do. First, I want to challenge you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the first step. You have to, everything you do has to be based in the relationship of Jesus. If you have sin in your life as a parent, your students are going to reflect that. If you have turmoil with your husband, your wife, things aren't right there, your students are going to reflect that. Student, if you have conflict with your mom, your dad, you don't want to do anything they ask you to do, you want to push back, I would say you have to be based in the love of Christ and begin to submit yourself to your parents. Now I want to get, just give everyone an opportunity. If you don't have a relationship with God, with Jesus, with every head bowed, eye closed, this is a safe place. It's called a sanctuary for a reason. I just want to give you an opportunity to, to recognize that and to confess that. And I'm not going to call you out. I just We're going to do that just by slipping up your hand. When I count to three. I just want you to, if, if this is you, you're saying, look, I've been messing up. I have sin in my life. I'm, I'm not okay. And this is bleeding over to my family. I just want you to slip up a hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Whoever is that, I see those. Okay. This is what I want to do now. If you are having conflict with your family, and I don't want you to call them out or anything like that, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray. Because I believe that God heals relationships. I know when I was a young man, a young teenager, and there was conflict with my mom, we had a severed relationship. I've never really had a relationship with my dad. And but God restored that relationship with my mom. It was miraculous and amazing. And God healed unforgiveness and bitterness. But it happened through prayer. It happened in the context of relationship. So if you need prayer, and I, no one's going to judge you to, today. No one's going to ask you what's going on. It could be a little thing. It could be a big thing. If you have conflict with anything, with family dynamics, whatever. So we want to pray for you. So I just want to encourage you to come to the front when I count to three. I want you to stand up and, and come to the front out just with, with boldness and courage. One, two, three. If you need prayer, you have conflict, family conflict going on, we just want to pray for you.